Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. This is episode eight of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Today, I have a fantastic guest. Her name is Robin McCauley. She is a minister in the United Church of Canada. She works at uh, the national their national office. And uh, But we end up talking about what we focus on is some of the other things that she does in her life. She is a metalsmith, which is really interesting to me, and she makes uh, all kinds of things out of metal. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, she's also uh, someone who is a certified labyrinth facilitator. If you don't know what that is, listen to the interview, um, and we talk about exactly what that is, and we talk a bunch about labyrinths and uh, using labyrinths and in spiritual practices, um, which I should just tell you right now um, was something that I was really skeptical about before and thought was not really for me at all, but it's something that I'm, I am I now do regularly, um, is walking labyrinths. So if you're someone who thinks, oh, this isn't for me, you should listen to the podcast because it's just such a great uh, conversation. Um, we talk about all kinds of stuff in this interview and are a little bit uh, all over the map, but we focus a bunch on the importance of craft and artistry and creativity, about claiming being creative as part of ministry and part of spirituality. Um, and uh, we talk about uh, walking through times of sadness or um, how uh, there are good metaphors in metalsmithing about how God relates to us in times of difficulty or times of depression. Uh, Robin talks about using a long commute for meditation and prayer, and uh, we just have a whole freewheeling kind of conversation. So um, I knew Robin from seminary and uh, hadn't connected with her at all uh, since our time in seminary together um, until this interview. So it was so great to talk to her, and I think she just has a ton to offer um, so I hope you take the opportunity to, to listen to uh, this interview today. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, in a few weeks' time, I have uh, Reverend Margaret Mullen, uh, who is the Executive Director of Winnipeg Inner City Missions. Um, and that's uh, a mission that um, is part of the Presbyterian Church and, and a local uh, organization to me, um, so I've uh, had the opportunity to go down there and uh, be with that community a few times um, and just to see the important ministry they're doing. Most of their ministry is with First Nations people in Canada or Aboriginal people in Canada um, in this part of the world. And um, and so we have a great conversation. Uh, Margaret and I had a great conversation a bit back and uh, I just talked about um, some of the struggles that they face in the inner city work that they do, but also a bunch about uh, Aboriginal spirituality and culture and how we understand that. Uh, so that was just a great talk. So that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, next week, I am thrilled uh, to have had the opportunity to interview Steve Bell, who 
is a fantastic musician and has been um, uh, doing music as his profession for many, many years. And again, is local to Winnipeg, but is, uh, I think, really well known, especially across Canada, as uh, as one of Can- Canada's main uh, uh, Christian or gospel-focused uh, musicians. And um, he's won a Juno, and uh, he just he was incredible to go and talk to. So next week, next interview is just great. We actually recorded it in Steve's studio, which uh, so the audio quality on the that podcast is going to sound phenomenal. If it sound if you think it sounds good now, wait till next week. It's going to sound fantastic. Um, but he was just so gracious, and um, and just a little bit of a sneak peek. Steve gave permission uh, for. Uh, me to uh, play some of his music on the podcast and even gave me an unreleased track um, that will likely be on an upcoming album and said, yeah, go ahead and play it on on the podcast. So uh, next week, come back, tune in, um, let other people know. If you know of anybody who's a a fan of Steve Bell and they want to hear an unreleased uh, song, tell them to come listen to my podcast next week. Um, That would just be great. Uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you to do today as well is that if if you're enjoying these podcasts, uh, just go and take an opportunity to go and find the podcast on iTunes. It's pretty easy to do that. Um, you just go into iTunes and uh, just search for Spirituality for Normal People, and you can subscribe to it there if you're an iTunes user. You might be using one of the other ones like Sk- Stitcher or Google Play, and that's fine. Go and search for it there as well. Um but specifically in iTunes, if you are able to go and actually search for it, even if you're already subscribed, and then just click on the review and ratings tab and leave a rating and review for the podcast if you're enjoying it. Um, this actually really helps other people find the podcast uh, if you're able to leave a review and rating. Um, so I'd really encourage you to, to go ahead and do that. Um, and it means a lot to me. I, I'm able to go and see those uh, ratings and reviews and really appreciate it when people uh, leave one. Um, there's just a couple there now, a few there now, but if you're able to do that, that would be fantastic. Uh, I think that's uh, that's most of the update for today. Um, some of you might uh, know as well, if you're following along, that I have a new book that's coming out soon called Let God Be Present, and uh, there'll be more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, but it will be out uh, right near the very end of May, or you'll be able to grab it for sure at the beginning of June. Um, but I'll be letting you know, and if you're not already subscribed to the to my email, um, that's that six, six tips guide that I talk about right at the beginning in the intro. Um, if you go and subscribe for that, you'll get an email from me when that book is out. And uh, so that's a great way to just uh, make sure you, if you grab that six tips guide and, and uh give me your email address, then I will make sure that you know by email when my latest books are out. So uh, if you want to go and grab that, uh, feel free to go and do that at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. All right, so here is now the interview with Robin. I want to welcome Robin McCauley to the podcast. And Robin, I'm so excited that you're able to join me today um, to talk about uh, spiritual practices. And um, I'll maybe get you to uh, just tell us a little bit about, there's a couple of things that I thought are really interesting about what you're doing. Um, and one is metalsmithing. Um, and so there might be listeners who really don't know what that is. So if you could tell us what that is and, and how that is related to your own spiritual practice, that'd be really cool. Sure. 
Thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, so metalsmithing is, uh, people might be a bit more familiar with the term silversmithing or goldsmithing or blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. So metalsmithing is along the same lines. It's just this broader term to say that, you know, I work with metal um, and with the metal I make what would maybe be called wearable art or jewelry and other kinds of art out of the metal. Um, And so I'm working with different kinds of tools like hammers and saws and um, soldering. And there's even acid that I need to use because um, the metals oxidize. And so the acid takes the oxidation off. And so it's this whole uh, process of working with with metal to make different kinds of works of art. So that's metal smithing in a nutshell. It's just the broad term to describe working with a bunch of different kinds of metals like silver or okay. copper yeah. or brass. Now, yeah. okay, before you tell us about sp- how this related to spirituality, I just need to say like we, I, I know Robin from seminary um, from way back over 15 years ago. And um, I had no idea you were doing metalsmithing. And, and so when I saw that just recently on Facebook, I think, and then clicked over to your website, which is beautiful. Um, she has a beautiful website. Um, I was like, this is Robin. Like, what? like, I don't remember this. Like, is this like, what, what, like, this is this part of your life. And, um, I, you know, just imagine it, it's difficult. Like I can see you. Um, but this is an audio podcast, but just knowing you and seeing you, you wouldn't necessarily picture you with hammers and acid and things like that. <laughs> like maybe you would, but it just sort of seems like, oh, okay. Cause I think of blacksmith as like what I go to at, we've got a fort, a lower Fort Gary nearby, like old time, like hammering dirty mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. So it just wasn't necessarily what I thought of. With you. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it, it. sometimes the process can feel kind of harsh. And then at those moments, um, when I'm getting tired of sawing hard metal or, or the sound of the hammering ringing through my body, um, I actually, I, I start sewing or painting or something just to kind of diffuse that feeling. But um, yeah, there's kind of this long history. I grew up, I was very crafty. I come from a really crafty artisan family, but everybody in my family also has a profession, right? Lots mm-hmm. of teachers. Um, my, my brother, for example, um, works at an insurance company, but he makes guitars in his spare time. Um, my dad is a computer whiz and taught computers and worked at a steel company, um, Algoma Steel in Sault Ste. Marie, and he does woodworking. The women in my family do lots of sewing and quilting and needlepoint and that kind of thing. So I kind of grew up in that environment where it was expected. You would have a profession and, you know, if you're crafty, well, you're just going to have to do that too, because there's a drive within you that's saying you're going to create something like you have to, it's just a part of who I am. I grew up saying I was either going to be a minister or a jewelry designer, Um, and I don't need to get into the whole story, but the minister thing kind of won out. Um, and through various different kinds of experiences, I found myself taking courses. I was doing my internship in Nova Scotia and, um, I started attending the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design to do some jewelry courses and just felt like my spirit totally came alive Um, and from there I've just been doing it in my spare time and I love it. So 
I think at that time too, I mean, I always struggled with what it meant to be creative, like to make that a, a, a big part of my life, to not, to claim it as really important instead of saying, well, this is just my hobby and I do it on the side and my real work is my, my, my ministry. I really struggled for a long time with how these two things could come together. It felt like I was living two different lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was when I started reflecting theologically on what it meant to be a creator, right? Mm. We believe in God who is creator. I mean, in the United Church, we talk about our new creed says, we believe in God who has created and is creating, meaning God is still active in the world and in our lives. Um, And that when I began to think of myself as creator, Uh, I felt as though, what does it mean for me to be caught up in that kind of divine activity? What does it mean for God to be working through me in creative ways? And when I began to think about the, the stories of God being creative and the fact that I was also creative and I just, it was extremely profound um, that that was, you know, the, the spirit of God in me and in my life. And from there, it's just, I always remind myself that when I'm being creative, that is God at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. That's so great. Like, I, and I really relate to what you're saying as an author as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I started writing fictions just a couple of years ago, maybe about two and a half years ago, um, I was just doing that as a, almost like escape and not like at first, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. Like I told my wife, I'm, I'm writing this book and mm-hmm. eventually you know, I wanted to publish it. So I kind of had to tell people. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but it was just sort of disconnected from, uh, from my mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last year went on a sabbatical and was focusing on writing and preaching as part of my sabbatical and wasn't really thinking about those as connected activities at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of it saw that, you know, the writing is actually part of the ministry and I should devote time to this. Um, and it's, uh, part of it is connecting to creativity, like you're talking about, but I also saw it as something that this is opening up the opportunities for conversations with other people that I would not normally connect with. And uh, suddenly there's these faith conversations, whether it's writing fiction or nonfiction, that these faith conversations just start because of something that I've written. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's an opportunity to serve people through that. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that's happened, that kind of thing has happened for you, like particularly because your metalsmithing it ends up being jewelry making, right? And mm-hmm. and some other things too that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine there's people who find you through that or who um, who you get to talk to because of that. Yeah, I mean, there there are some incredible stories of being invited into people's lives. Like I struggle in some ways with jewelry at times. Um, I feel like, oh, this is so frivolous and commercial and, you know, it's jewelry. Like, what am I doing? Um, and then people come into my life and they, and there's something about jewelry being an outward symbol or a marking of something. Um, so for example, one person who was going through a breakup and, you know, you think about the ring that you have from um, a commitment and that that's gone and she wanted something um, to be created specifically for her and her new life that she could claim for herself. 
And um, I mean, the ring was a symbol that of her own claiming that she is loved no matter what. And that was actually written in, into the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's some beautiful moments like that, that, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't glimpse um, or be a part of, of those life experiences of people mm-hmm. um, without, without the metalsmithing. Um, and I mean, it's something they're wearing every day. I mean, how, how amazing is that? Yeah. 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 And, well, anyone who's a fan of Lord of the Rings will not say that jewelry <laughs> is frivolous. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's really important. Um, but right. I think that is a good analogy to think about like a, a partnership or a marriage and mm. how there's a piece of jewelry associated with that. And we don't often think about that because I think we'll, people yeah. think of that as frivolous. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, I wanted to bring up as well on your, on your website, people should go to your website. We'll tell them and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, we can put a link to it. Okay. Um, but uh, you have this awesome quote on your about page oh. um, by Thomas More. I didn't, I didn't print it off, so I don't have it in front of me, but people yeah. can go and you might, you might have it there. If you want. Tell the us what it is. There's the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so if, I don't know if you want to share what that quote is and, and say, why did you choose that quote? Or what does that, what does that say to you for, for the, the work that you do in metalsmithing? Yeah. Um, I, so I just came across that quote a couple of months ago. And again, it was one of those moments of really um, finding some meaning in what I was doing. Because again, I, I found that I was, I was struggling for kind of a theological reflection on what it meant to, to be sort of a metalsmith and to work with metal. So uh, Thomas Moore wrote a book about the, um, it's called Dark Nights of the Soul. And he, uh, he talks about the times of, of depression in our lives and how, how we typically um, struggle to make meaning out of them. And he says that in those times of deep depression, that it's actually a profound time for learning and, and growth and that God is, um, God is working away in those times. So he equates this, these um, times of, of darkness or um, of, um, yeah, of depression with God being like a smith, right? Like a metalsmith working away um, that metalsmithing actually needs to be done in, in pretty dim light, especially when you're working with, with soldering or flame, because you need to see the, <laughs> you need to see the, the metal changing colors or else it'll get away on you or melt or do something it's not supposed to do. So it needs to be done in dim light. So, um, there's also something profound about God being equated to a, to a smith, someone like a, a being working with, with metal, working with those hard parts of our lives and transforming them into something of, of beauty. Um, I just find that to be extremely meaningful that those harsh, um, dark places can, um, out of that, we can arise and, um, find new life. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think it's really great. Um, and, and people should take a look at that book. I haven't actually read the book, but I've heard about it before. So now, yeah. now I'm going to be challenged to go and read it. <laughs> it's an amazing book. I think in, in today's society, when a lot of people are struggling with um, depression or it's really about lack of meaning, like they don't, they don't right. have a sense of, of meaning in our lives and struggle with um, 
there's almost a sense of struggling against um, these times of uh, profound sadness when really they're times to pay attention to and to find meaning in and to say what's, you know, to almost, dare I say, befriend it, to say this is actually something amazing that's going on. And if I can allow myself to sit and be and let God, that's what the quote said, allow, you know, the, the Smith to do God's work, to just let it be and allow the divine Smith to enter in and take that, that, um, that dark place and work away at it until it is something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important for today. So how do you, how do you do that personally? How do I do that personally? Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what practices do you have in place? I guess, what is your, that, that help you be able to do that? I think, um, I think about my practices and it's less about the, the, the doing of the practice and more about the intention or the being behind these different practices. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, when I started years ago saying, okay, I'm, I want to be intentional about spiritual practices and I'm going to do things like I'm going to write in my, I'm going to set time aside and write in my journal or I'm going to sit and meditate and that's going to be my spiritual practice. Um, and when I began kind of experimenting with that, what, what happened was that instead of it being time set aside to do that and then, oh, I'm going on with the rest of the day or the rest of my life, it became how is every moment infused with this intention, right? Like yeah. how in every moment and am I inviting the, the, the God who is the breath of life, like if we think about, you know, the breath in, breath out, um, the, the spirit of God in the Bible, the, the word spirit is the, the same word for breath, right? Mm-hmm. So I invite myself in every moment of life to, to be in God's presence. And so the, the doing of the practices helps me to carry that through. So how that looks in my life uh, today, because it, it's taken different shapes and different forms. I mean, we never, I think we grow and learn and change. Um, but I, I have a long commute to work. Um, so my train ride in the morning um, consists of me uh, meditating, um, sitting, praying, um, noticing. It's a lot about awareness and noticing. Um, and if I need to, I'll, I'll write some things out. Sometimes just, just journaling helps me. Um, and then it's being intentional about my creative work. So that is time that I, I know that when I start feeling restless, I can look back and say, okay, in the last couple of weeks, I haven't made it to my studio. I haven't worked on this energy that God has put in me to intentionally. Um, that's a part of who I am. So I need to attend to that. Um, and so I go down to my studio and I, I start working on what I need to do. Um, I'll do, you know, intentional reading to, to for inspiration, like poetry or, or scripture. Now tell uh, us how long your commute is though. <laughs> my commute is, oh gosh, um, it's <laughs> two and a half hours one way. So it's like five hours door to door. Right. And you're on the train, right? I'm on the train. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot, like you, there's a good chunk of time there, but I, but how many people like there's for sure people listening to this who have some kind of commute who are not mm-hmm. necessarily thinking about, you know, where is God in this time mm-hmm. um, or in my day or using that time to, to be 
reflective. And it's not that you can't, you know, read a, read, read a book for fun or listen to some music or whatever, but even taking some of the time, um, and being intentional, like having intention about how, how God is in that time. Yeah. And God's probably in your fiction reading too. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) God is is, not probably. (laughs) But if you, if you opened the book and said, God is in my fiction reading, I'm going to, I'm going to really pay attention to this and notice, I mean, there's the word embodiment comes to mind. And for me, that links with a theology of incarnation. Like I kind of, (laughs) I kind of wonder how, how a faith, like the Christian faith is incarnation is it's one of its bases, right? Mm -hmm. That's an embodied flesh experience. How did we get so far away from noticing what, what our bodies are telling us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, Christianity has become a very heady kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, even when you're reading your fiction book, you can sit back and going, what is, what is going on for me as I'm reading this? Am I paying attention to, to every word and how it's impacting me? How is it impacting my most emotions? Where, Hmm. where is God leading me to in this? Or how am I just experiencing pure joy by the fact that this story is, is great, right? And the words are uplifting. Um, So I think it's about that kind of intention about the, the noticing and the reflection Um, it takes time. I mean, these things, I I feel like this has been my life journey. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't uh, one day saying, Oh, I need a spiritual practice. And then it's, it's, you know, all of a sudden in the fullness that it is. No, it's been every day being intentional about it, learning, growing. I mean, I meet with a spiritual director. I think that's a key piece of it. Having spiritual director, a soul friend to talk to, going on retreats, learning from other people is really key as well. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have you come back on the podcast because there's a lot there that you just said. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, But I kind of want to shift gears because I don't want to run out of time. All right. Um, sort, sort of shifting gears. It's all related. Yeah. Um, but you are also, in addition to all of this other stuff, you're also a certified labyrinth facilitator. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I read that also on your, on your website. Um, and I didn't even, personally, I didn't even know that there were certified labyrinth facilitators. Maybe I heard that, you know, one day when I was in seminary over 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know that existed as a thing. Mm-hmm. I obviously knew labyrinths were there. Um, but so maybe you can say like what what is a labyrinth facilitator, um, but also just there might be people listening just wanting to know what's a labyrinth right. and and how, how does that help people with their spiritual life? Yeah, great question. So um, I'm certified through Veriditas, which is um, an organization in California that is um, uh, focused around the labyrinth. So uh, it's, it's key to mention that group. Um, Lauren Artris is um, sort of the, the woman who's responsible for the labyrinth having a resurgence in today's society. Uh, so she's the founder of the organization and she was the one who led the, the certification training. So a labyrinth is... Um, a path. It's a winding path. A lot of people hear that word and they think maze. 
And a maze is a, a game. It has tricks and dead ends and uh, you're trying to make your way through it and you're encountering roadblocks. A labyrinth isn't a game. It's one path that winds around and leads its way to the center. And then you take the same path back out again. So typically speaking, it's, um, it's flat on the ground. Like mazes often have walls because they're, you're not you know, able mm-hmm. to see around them. But a, a labyrinth mm-hmm. is flat on the ground and you're just following the path. And it's like a walking meditation. Uh, there's so many different applications. Um, so you, know, you, can, you can walk and, and, and pray. Um, but it's meant to be a time of, of quieting yourself and of that deep noticing and self-awareness. Um, there's kind of a threefold path of the labyrinth. So there's the entering in, then there's time in the center, and then there's taking the same path back out again. And so one formula for experiencing the labyrinth is to, on your way in, to focus on releasing and to think about what are the things in my life that God is asking me to, to let go of that I don't need, that aren't serving me. And then in the center to focus on receiving. So what, what, what gift does God have for me um, in this time? And then the way back is the return, kind of the return to your, to your life carrying this gift with you. So that's one kind of approach, but there are, there are so many different ways um, to approach the labyrinth, which I think is great. There's also something about meditation where people, um, some, a lot of people have a hard time just sitting and being still and thinking they're not doing it right. Uh, and I, I think the labyrinth is a great tool again, around embodiment of really of saying we're in our bodies. Um, meditation can be, um, it can be in movement. Uh, and so I think that movement actually helps people with the meditation or the prayer, um, a little bit more. So being a facilitator simply means that I, um, I guess I know a lot about labyrinths. I actually teach a five-day course um, on labyrinths with a co-facilitator who teaches about Mandela um, at the Halliburton School of Art and Design in the Expressive mm. Arts program. Um, I've read a lot about labyrinths. I've led lots of different groups. Um, so it's really about just uh, knowing how to explain it to people. Um, there's a, a facilitator role just in terms of um, kind of what we call gatekeeping, which is just if you're with a group, you're, you're, you're pacing people into the labyrinth. But anyway, we don't need to get into right, the right. technical details. Yeah. But yeah. When I, I remember uh, when we were in seminary, you're reminding me of all the seminary stuff. So yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but we, we had to, there was a labyrinth there and we were yeah. part of our spiritual formation class was actually, you know, go and walk the labyrinth. I hated it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? So did I. Yeah. I tell that story. I tell that story. It, that is my story. I tell at the beginning of every labyrinth workshop. That's great. Cause yeah. I love it now. Like I, yeah. it probably the last three years I've not, not too often, but I've started walking labyrinths like when I, when there is one yeah. <laughs> that's nearby. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've recently discovered there's one really close to our church, but it's on the far end of a park. So when I finally got to the far end of that park, there's a labyrinth here. Oh, <laughs> What's this doing yeah. here? So now in the summer, it's kind of hard to walk in the winter, but yeah. um, in the summer, I'll, I'll head out there and do that. And then there's a, a, a monastery just north of the city that has a labyrinth there. Um, and then I recently discovered actually the 
the chapel in the hospital that's closest to our uh, mm. our church has a labyrinth in the chapel, but I haven't gone gone to that yet. Mm. Um, but I'll have to check it out. Um, but I've found it super helpful. And then lately, I've shared already on on the podcast that um, I'm really into prayer walking, mm-hmm. and so I kind of just see that as those things kind of being related. Yeah. Um, and that there's something about pilgrimage as well that you can like. I almost see labyrinths as a for me anyway as kind of like this mini pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you walk the path that's laid out and you get to your destination and then you have to walk back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've shared this with my congregation and, and I've written a little bit about it, but I, I'd lo- I want to explore it more. So I was, I was thrilled to see that that's something that, that you're doing and, and leading people through. Um, cause I, I think there's tons of life to be had through that walking practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a great metaphor as well, right? Like, we're, we're supposed to be followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so walking, like I yeah. you can imagine, Oh, I'm actually literally walking, following Jesus. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so I, I like that idea. And I always feel this still happens with prayer walks. We'll see by the time this podcast comes out because um, <laughs> these are pre-recorded, but um, I still feel kind of like, Oh, do I really want to do this? Like, Oh, I don't have time or, Oh, you know, I I'll have some excuse or just, this isn't really going to do anything. Mm. Um, and even when I've been at the, at the start of a labyrinth, I'm often just thinking, well, no, this is silly. Right. And I think maybe it's just remembering seminary when like, I don't think you should really force people to do labyrinths. I think that was part of it, but absolutely, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But, but then it's taking that step and just saying, okay, I'm going to overcome that. And I'm just going to take the first three steps into, into the labyrinth and then just keep following the path. Yep. Um, and I'm often like tempted to just quit because nothing's, I don't feel like anything is happening. Like I'm an action person. I want to, I want to see results. Mm-hmm. And it's usually like in the center, like I have to get to the center before, I feel like anything different is taking place or sometimes as I'm walking out, it'll be like the last step out of the labyrinth where I suddenly am thinking, Oh, that's why I needed to do this today. Right now I'm sensing the peace that God wanted me to sense today or, or whatever it is. Like you just have to, for me, it's, it's kind of trusting the process rather than yeah. thinking about the result. So anyway. Yeah. There's so much there that you just said. Yeah. I mean, yeah, pilgrimage <laughs> and, and the metaphor of journey through life and I think there's something important about how we approach the labyrinth. As you say, no one should ever be forced to do it. And it isn't for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're expecting something to happen, it's probably not, you know, it's not like the labyrinth is magical and something happens every single time. Right. Right. I'll put that, if I write a fantasy book, maybe I'll put a magical labyrinth. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it's not like something is supposed to happen even. Um, There's not one kind of formula of what's supposed to take place or will take place. And the more open you are, and sometimes I find the more skeptical, um, which is interesting, uh, it's often the surprise for someone that something is actually taking place. I I just uh, find such delight in that. So maybe I should keep my skepticism going. (laughs) Or at the very least, some open, just a sense of, you know, I don't, I'm going to walk this with openness and just see what happens. And if nothing happens, whatever, you had a nice little walk. 
Exactly. I, that's how I approach my prayer walks. Like my, my, my main one is just to kind of go walk through, we have a a forest close by. So just go walk Mm -hmm. through the forest along the trail. And I usually I'm just going thinking, I don't really know why I'm going on this walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And I'll even maybe pray that prayer. Like I'll just pray, God, why, like, Mm -hmm. what do you have in store for me? Right. And sometimes by the end of it, it's, I don't have an answer to that question, Mm -hmm. but it's like, Oh, well, I'm probably healthier for having walked. So that's good. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, now what do you say to somebody and we need to wrap up here, but I really want to get to this question. What do you say to someone who doesn't think that things like labyrinths fit with Christian spirituality? Like, Uh, is that just new age? Um, and is it just, this isn't really Christian. Um, how do you, how do we respond to that? Right. I mean, that question used to come up a lot, uh, like a decade ago. But not um, as much now. Not as much recently, which, which I think is great. And it's, it, yeah. it speaks to the changing nature of, of um, you know, the Christian faith, perhaps. So we, uh, you know, back in the day, I would have talked about how the labyrinth is rooted in, in the Christian faith, right? Like in the, during the time of the Crusades, um, labyrinths were put in cathedrals so that people who, instead of making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, could make their pilgrimage to different cathedral sites. And the labyrinth was perhaps a way of kind of marking that, that their final destination, or as you said, um, their, their pilgrimage is coming to a completion or it's a metaphor for the pilgrimage they've been on. So, I mean, there's, there's lots of evidence that it's, it's rooted in the Christian tradition, point blank. But I think, you know, there's something to be said for, for me, anything, any practice that I do, anything I do in life that has the potential to bring me in closer relationship with God, you know, with a deeper awareness of God's hope for me and my life to, you know, overcome my obstacles, to work on my own healing, um, or the healing that God is doing through me. Or if you want to use Christ language, I mean, Christ is about new life and, and transformation and reconciliation and repentance. So anything, like mm-hmm. anything we do, um, any practice, and certainly in my life, labyrinths have been a profound part of that practice. And I can't help but think that God would want me to engage in that. Um, that, that I shouldn't just say, no, that's not Christian. I mean, what does that, to be blunt about it, what does that really, like, (laughs) what does that really mean? And, you know, if we had more time, we could get into the whole fact that the Christian tradition has borrowed all over the place um, to find meaning to, to, so that the, the stories, the practices, the faith resonates with what resonates with the human spirit over, you know, thousands of years. Oh, sure. Um, and yeah. we actually have no issue. Like churches have no issue really borrowing from mm-hmm. yeah, all over the place in their worship practices, yeah. like in, in regular Sunday worship, whether it's a cultural practice or whether it is actually was another religion's practice. Exactly. And then we basically take it and say, well, we're going to see, you know, our understanding is that, that Jesus is in this. And I think even like Paul going to uh, Athens, mm-hmm. he does that. He doesn't, mm-hmm. starting place isn't scripture. His starting place is, you know, I, I saw all your idols, all of your, you know, statues, and, um, and you have an unknown God, and I'm going to tell you which one that is. <laughs> you know, right. it's yeah. Jesus. 
So let's, let's talk about Jesus now. Um, So he basically took, you know, Greek mythology, Greek Mm -hmm. religion and said, okay, that's going to be our starting place for a spiritual conversation. Right. um, Which for me as a Christian focuses around this person, Jesus of Nazareth. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think we've been doing it like we do it's in the Bible. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Um, And those, I think who raise objections, I think, probably should look at their worship life in their church like even quote-unquote contemporary more contemporary style worship is just borrowing a ton from culture all the time right music um art the way we dress yeah you know what's gonna touch uh, people today you know did god third story did jesus play guitar and play the drums and have a praise band well no (laughs) well we don't know that for sure Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we we do know that smoke machines though are really important, and if you're not, oh, okay. then, then, in, then incense, right? Like you got to have some kind of like w- one of those. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. but then it says, you know, what is it, Psalm 51 or something, and like, no, we, God doesn't want your burnt offerings. Or- oh, true, true. Anyway. Okay, now we're probably getting off track. This is probably the sign that we've come to the end of our, okay. of our time. So. <laughs> All right. Um, Thank you so much, Robin. This has been so awesome and great to reconnect with you too. uh, Yeah, you too. After many years. Thanks for the great questions and the the good conversation. Always happy to talk about spiritual practices. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.